Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment, tax, or legal advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management, LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, this is Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management, and this is the 26th week of the Northbound Wealth Podcast, Weekly Market Insights. And this week is the beginning, really, of 2023. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a a brief look and review the fourth quarter of 2022. And then we're going to dive into the beginning of this year, which is 2023, and review the first week of the year. So here we go. U.S. markets. So stocks ended a volatile fourth quarter in 2022 with a slight gain, which helped repair some of the damage since the beginning of the year. For much of the quarter, sentiment was boosted by stronger than expected earnings, a deceleration in inflation, and a growing belief that the Fed may start to scale back on the pace of interest rate hikes. But the upbeat mood soured in December as recession fears were rekindled by ongoing Fed hawkishness. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 15% for the three months, while the S&P 500 tacked on 7%. The tech-heavy NASDAQ lagged, slipping 1%. So an October rally. The quarter opened on a volatile note as stocks reacted to both international news and domestic economic updates. An above consensus inflation report sent stocks to levels not seen since 2020 before mounting an impressive turnaround that by day's end had witnessed the Dow Industrials climbing 1,500 points from their midday low. The market stabilized as third quarter earnings started rolling in. Early earnings reports calmed some fears of deteriorating profits and pushed the Fed policy concerns into the background. So in November, there was follow through. Stocks added to their gains in November based on growing investor optimism for a slowdown in future rate hikes. After the FOMC announced a 75 basis point rate hike at the start of the month, stocks retreated on hawkish comments by Fed Chair Jerome Powell in his post-meeting press conference. Markets staged a quick recovery, though, following a cooler-than-expected inflation number that ignited a powerful rally that lifted stocks to their biggest one-day gain in two years. And then we had, after the follow-through, we had December blues. So stocks opened in December by surrendering some of the October and November gains as recession fears and concerns over higher rates once again dragged on investor sentiment. The Fed announced another rate hike of 50 basis points, but it was the increase in the terminal rate or the rate at which the Fed stops further rate hikes that elevated recession worries and closed the quarter and the year on a muted note. So quarterly sector scorecard. 10 sectors notched solid gains for the quarter, but consumer discretionary was under pressure, down 9.33%. Energy was actually up 21.45%. That really carried the market. Industrials was up 18.55%. Materials were up 14.22%. Financials were up 12.65%. Healthcare was up 12.17%. And consumer staples was up 11.72% posted double-digit gains. 
Utilities was up 7.62%, technology up 4.96%, real estate up 2.55% and communication services sector posted barely a gain of 21 basis points or 0.21%, um, but still a gain nevertheless. So the S&P 500 um, last year in 2022, um, down 19.44% for the quarter, it was up 7%. So think about if the quarter wasn't up, uh, it would be down a lot more for the year last year. Um, and on a side note, 2022 uh, for the S&P 500 finished at its worst year since to the the uh, the dreaded 2008. Um, the S&P 500 in December was down 5.9%. Let's review the Nasdaq. For the month it was down 8.73%, for the quarter it was down 1.03%, and then for the year last year the Nasdaq was down 33.10%. The Russell 1000 uh, was down in December 5.95%. For the quarter, it was up 6.77% and finished the year down 20.41%. The 10-year Treasury note finished up 3.88% for December. And then for the fourth quarter, was down 0.08% in the fourth quarter of 2022. And then year-to-date, it finished up 2.37%. So what investors may be talking about in January? In the month ahead, expect the market spotlight to fall on three key dates. What investors may be talking about in January? In January, expect the market spotlight to fall on three key dates. The first will come on January 12th with the December Consumer Price Index Report. A continued slowdown in inflation may lift some pressure on the Fed to raise interest rates. The second will be on January 26th with the initial reading of the fourth quarter gross domestic product. A healthy number may be a relief to those worried about an imminent recession, or it could be viewed as a reason for the Fed to maintain its hawkish rate hike path. Finally, the FOMC will open its two-day meeting on January 31st. The forward-looking markets tend to focus on what Fed Chair Powell says about the direction of the economy in the post-meeting press conference. So what's going on in world markets? Well, international markets were flat in December with the MSCI EFA index checking in with a loss of 0.01%. European markets trended lower on fears of a difficult winter with losses posted in Germany of down negative uh, 3.29%. Italy was down 3.67%. France was down 3.93%. And the UK was down 1.60%. Pacific Rim markets were mixed with Hong Kong jumping 6.37% on further China reopening steps. Meanwhile, Australia uh, dropped 3.37% and Japan fell 6.70%. So the world market recap, the Hang Seng uh, last quarter finished down 15.4%. The Korean markets, Kospi and uh, down 24.89%. Uh, the Nikkei in Japan, the year-to-date last year, down 9.37%. Sensex in India, uh, year-to-date was up 4.44%. Egypt's index was up 22.17% last year. Brazil's index, or the Bovespa, was up 4.97% last year. Uh, Mexico's index uh, 
main tracked index is, was down 9.03% last year. Uh, that's 2022. So Australia was down 5.45%. DAX Germany was down 12.35%. France's index or the CAC 40 was for the year down 9.50%. IBEX in Spain uh, year to date was down 5.56%. The FTSE 100, which is the United Kingdom or the UK, uh, year to date was barely eked out a gain of up about 0.91%. And uh, Italy's top 40, uh, IT40 finished the year down 13.31%. Let's take a look at some economic indicators. So GDP, the final estimate of third quarter GDP growth was revised higher from the annualized rate of 2.9% to 3.2%. The revision was due to an increase in an earlier estimate of personal consumption. Employment. The economy added 263,000 new jobs in November. As a result, that was above the consensus estimate of 200,000. The unemployment rate was unchanged at 3.7%. Wages rose 0.6% for the month, which was double the estimate. Additionally, wages rose 5.1% year over year, which was above the forecast of 4.6%. Retail sales so retail sales fell 0.6% as holiday shopping got off to a muted start. It was the biggest decline in nearly a year. Um, industrial production output from the nation's factories, mines, and utilities declined for the second straight month, falling 0.2% in November. Housing. So housing fell 0.5%, dragged lower by a decline of 4.1% in single-family home starts. Permits for future home construction slumped 11.2%. Sales of existing homes dropped 7.7% from October and 35.4% from the previous year. November's decline was the 10th straight month of declining sales. Higher mortgage rates combined with elevated home prices, many would-be buyers on the sideline. It just kept them on the sideline. Uh, new home sales posted a surprise month-over-month -month increase of 5.8%, though year-over-year -year sales dropped 15.3%. So what's up with consumer prices? Prices of consumer goods and services rose just 0.1% in November and increased 7.1% year over year. Both figures came in under consensus estimates of 0.3% and 7.3% respectively. Core prices, excluding food and energy, also came in slightly lower than expectations. Declines in energy and used car prices more than offset higher prices for food and shelter. Durable goods orders fell 2.1%, pulled lower by a sharp drop in aircraft orders of negative 36%. So what's up with the Fed now, given all this information? In its mid-December FOMC meeting, the Fed approved a hike in its federal funds rate of 50 basis points, or 0.50%, while indicating its plan to raise rates further in 2023 to combat inflation. In his press conference following the news, Fed Chair Powell suggested that the next hike might be a quarter or 0.25% basis point increase. FOMC members lifted the terminal rate, example, the rate at which hikes would come to an end to between 5% and 5.5%, up from their projection of 4.6% in September. So that means higher federal funds rate by the numbers. So 
Here's a by the numbers. I always love these. These are very interesting. Love to share these with you. 87%. That's the percentage of retirees who live abroad to pursue a lower cost of living. And we're talking about abroad being from if you're if you live in America. So 87% is the percentage of retirees who live abroad to pursue a lower cost of living. 82% is the percentage of retirees who live abroad to find a simpler, less stressful life. 74% is the percentage of retirees who retire abroad to enjoy better weather. Roughly 5 million, that's the number of Americans who are currently retired abroad. Portugal, the most popular retirement destination outside the U.S. by Americans. 661,000 is the number of non-native retirees living in Portugal. 6.5% is the percentage of Portugal's total population represented by non-native retirees. 34% higher is the cost of living in the U.S. versus Portugal on average. 51% cheaper is the cost of groceries in Portugal versus the U.S. Number six, that's Portugal's rank on the Global Peace Index. And 103 is the Global Peace Rank of the United States of America. So in this segment, I'm going to review last week, which was the first week of 2023. Typically, I go by week. And after the end of a quarter, I will review that previous quarter. So the segment you heard prior to this was the review of the fourth quarter of 2022. And so here we go. This is the the review of last week. So weekly market insights, New Year's rally in reply to positive economic news. This was released on January 9th. I, I write a blog and I put that on my blog. So check it out. Sign up for that. A strong Friday rally triggered by fresh signs of moderating inflation pushed stocks into positive territory to begin the new year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 1.46%, while the S&P 500 advanced 1.45%. The NASDAQ Composite Index gained 0.98%, and the MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, added 0.90%. So for the first week of the year, we actually finished positive is good news. Well, what does that mean for the Dow? Well, the Dow closed last week on Friday at 33,630. Year to date, that's up 1.46%. The NASDAQ closed at 10,569, which is up 0.98%. MSCI IFA, 1,961 and change. That's up 0.90%. And then the S&P 500 closed at 3,895. That's up 1.45%. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 3.55%. That's up 33 basis points for the week and year to date. Obviously, that's all we have is 0.33% or 33 basis points. Stocks rally. A new year did little to change the market's overall tenor as trading remained choppy. The first two trading sessions of a holiday-shortened week saw major averages swing wildly between gains and losses as investors balanced an improving outlook on inflation against concerns of faltering economic growth. Mega cap technology and other high growth names endured the brunt of the selling pressure. Stocks took a decisive turn lower Thursday on strong private payroll growth and declining jobless claims, which heightened fears that the Fed would need to push interest rates higher for longer. However, stocks staged a powerful rally on Friday despite another jo- strong job number. 
partly due to the deceleration in wage growth. So the Fed has communicated that it's looking for weakening in the labor market before it can feel confident higher rates are working to slow inflation. Employment reports last week indicated that the Fed might need to wait a bit longer for evidence of a fading labor market. So ADP or Automated Data Processing's monthly employment report showed the private sector adding more jobs, 235,000, than consensus estimates of 153,000, with a strong wage gains over the last year of 7.3%. Initial and continuing jobless claims fell in the last week of December and remained at a pre-pandemic level. Uh, Finally, the government's monthly employment report showed employers adding a healthy 223,000 jobs in December. So this week, key economic data, Thursday is the CPI report. That's a big one. And then jobless claims and Friday, consumer sentiment readings. Um, This week, companies reporting earnings. So on Friday, Bank of America, JP Morgan, Delta Airlines, United Health, Citigroup, Wells, Fargo, and BlackRock. So it kicks off Q4 earnings on Friday. So stay tuned for uh, commentary on that. And check out my blog and podcasts on Apple and Spotify and anywhere you listen. I typically release uh, podcasts once a week, every uh, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, uh, depending on scheduling and schedules. And I review the previous week and then give guidance on the upcoming week or month or year ahead. Social Security, the elephant in the room. For most Americans, Social Security has represented nothing more than some unavoidable payroll deduction with the positively cryptic initials of FICA and OASDI. Federal Insurance Contributions Act and Old Age, Survivors and Disability Insurance. It hinted at a future that seemed both intangible and far away, yet many Americans now sit on the cusp of drawing on the promise that was made with those payments. As the growing wave of citizens approach retirement, questions and concerns abound. Is Social Security financially healthy? How much will my income benefit be? How do I maximize my benefits for my spouse and myself? When should I begin taking Social Security? Of course, you can ask Northbound Wealth Management. We'd be happy to talk to you about a lot of those questions. But moving on, questions and elephants. Answering these questions may help you derive the most from your Social Security benefit and potentially enhance your financial security in retirement. Before you can answer these questions, you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. The Social Security system has undergone periodic scares over the years and has Uh, inevitably led many people to wonder if Social Security will ever remain financially sound enough to pay the benefits they are owed. They do have reasonable concern for those questions. Social Security was created in 1935 during Franklin D. Roosevelt's first term. It was designed to provide income to older Americans who had little to no means of support. The country was mired in an economic downturn and the need for such support was acute. Since its creation, there have been three basic developments that have led to the financial challenges Social Security faces today. Number one, the number of workers paying into the system, which supports the current benefit payments, has fallen from just over eight workers for every retiree in 1955 to 3.3 in 2005. That ratio is expected to fall to 2.2 to 1 
by 2037. Number two, a program that began as a dedicated retirement benefit later morphed into income support for disabled workers and surviving family members. These added obligations were not always matched with the necessary payroll deduction levels to financially support these additional objectives. Number three, retirees are living longer. As might be expected, the march of medical technology and our understanding of healthy behaviors have led to a longer retirement span, potentially placing a greater strain on resources. Beginning in 2010, tax and other non-interest income no longer fully covered the program's cost. According to the Social Security Trustee's 2020 annual report, this pattern is expected to continue for the next 75 years. The report projects that the trust fund may be exhausted by 2035, absent any changes. Social Security's financial crisis is real, but the prospect of its failure seems remote. There are a number of ways to stabilize the Social Security system, including but not limited to, number one, increase payroll taxes. An increase in payroll taxes, depending on the size, could add years of life to the trust fund. Number two, raise the retirement age. Boy, have we seen that. Now it's at the age of, uh, well, required minimum distributions have gone up to uh, age 73. So that's from 70 and a half to 72 to 73 in the last three years. But raising the retirement age, we've seen a couple of iterations there of changes. This has already taken been done in the past reforms would save money by paying benefits to future recipients at a later age. Number three, tax benefits of higher earners. By taxing Social Security income for retirees in higher tax brackets, the tax revenue could be used to lengthen the life of the trust fund. So if that's the case, look at Roth conversions, you guys. Roth conversions from traditional to Roth uh, in years where you're not making as much today because the tax rates today are known with the assumption that tax rates down the road on retirement income that you're drawing will be higher. And number four, modify inflation adjustments. Rather than raise benefits in line with the consumer price index, policymakers might elect to tie future benefit increases to the quote, chained CPI, end quote, which assumes that individuals move to cheaper alternatives in the face of rising costs. Using the chain CPI may make cost of living adjustments less expensive. So reform is expected to be difficult since it may involve tough choices, something from which many policymakers often retreat. However, history has shown that political leaders tend to act when the consequences of inaction exceed those taking action. If you have a question about this topic, please give us a call. Northbound Wealth Management, 317-399-1107. One comment I will make about that is by 2030, 78 million Americans will be over the age of 65. And that number is less than the number of millennials that are going to be the voting and power block of voting and political leadership by 2030. So if you're in that boomer group, you're probably going to lose some of the political power that you have now by 2030 because the millennial and Gen X block is going to control uh, what is dictated as far as entitlements and entitlement programs 
and other programs like Social Security. So keep that in mind as you move forward from 2023 to 2030. You heard it here first. Just joking. Um, hopefully that will help you inform you guys. If you have any questions, please give us a call at Northbound Wealth Management, 317-399-1107.